Welcome to a special five-part podcast series sponsored by K2 Integrity. In this podcast series, we will consider the intersection of compliance, due diligence, and mergers and acquisitions. We will look at issues relating to core due diligence, concerns in deal-making, potential reputational issues, deals through a global lens, and integration issues. In this series, I'm joined by Hannah Coleman, Managing Director in K2 Integrity's Investigations and Risk Advisory Practices. She specializes in fast-moving, complex, and specialized research assignments in a variety of areas, including investigative due diligence, corporate contests, intellectual property investigations, media transparency assessments, and litigation support. We also have Tom Pinnell, Managing Director in K2 Integrity's Investigations and Risk Advisory Practice. With a focus on financial investigations, Tom leads the multidisciplinary teams working with corporate clients and their legal advisors responding to crisis events, including multi-jurisdictional, white-collar crime, misconduct, financial fraud statements, anti-bribery and corruption incidents, and compliance advisory work. In this first episode, I visit with Hannah Coleman on core due diligence investigations and issues. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back with another K2 Integrity podcast series. Today, we're going to start Compliance, Diligence, and Mergers and Acquisitions. Today, I have with me Hannah Coleman, Managing Director at K2 Integrity. Hannah, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So one of the most ubiquitous terms in all of every type of compliance is due diligence. And everyone's going to say, well, of course it is, and I know what it means, but it may not mean the same thing to everyone. So perhaps, Hannah, we could have an exploration of of what is due diligence, what are the levels of due diligence, what are the purposes of the different types of due diligence, and really put context around the phrase that I think everyone thinks they know what it means. Of course. Well, in general, we all know due diligence is basically the process of getting smart about someone you're entering into a business relationship with. And there are a variety of different types of diligence, you know, financial, operational, IT, for example. I know my colleague Tom is going to touch on a couple of these instances later on in our series. Uh, But what we're talking about today is specifically reputational diligence. So broadly, issues in the background of a company or an individual that could be reputationally damaging to the subject of the diligence and by extension to the client of ours that would engage with them. Um, More often than not, we're retained to conduct this type of diligence in the context of a business transaction, like a potential merger, acquisition, or an investment, but also sometimes in the context of an executive hire or a board appointment. Uh, People who are decision makers and who are also highly public or visible members of a company's leadership team. So it certainly makes sense to know what kinds of risk those individuals might bring to the table in addition to those insights and opportunities that you're bringing them on board for. Um, In terms of levels and focus, the level and focus of a diligence can really vary widely based on the risk of a deal. And there are a number of factors that can inform how a client thinks about that risk. For example, the value of the deal or the size of an investment might um, merit different levels of diligence. The seniority of a hire or the level of access to sensitive company information that someone is likely to have could also inform that. Similarly, um, certain types of industries or certain geographies might necessitate um, increased diligence, depending on the context. 
So client needs really vary from very basic kind of red flag searches, you know, watch lists and criminal records to something that's really quite complex. Um, there could be instances where a client needs a really thorough investigation and analysis of a very complicated issue to get comfortable with a transaction. It all depends really on the context and truly varies from client to client on what someone's going to be um, looking to dig into. And I guess from your explanation, it sounds like the you talked about the level of risk or the level of perceived risk would be the starting point to inform your due diligence. Mm-hmm. And I'd originally thought we were going to talk about, well, how do you perform due diligence and how do you uh, then analyze it? But really, it sounds like the first step is to determine what the risk may be across a wide variety of factors. And then from determining that risk, you move towards the appropriate level of due diligence. And even that can change uh, as you perform your due diligence. Would that be a fair assessment? Absolutely. And I think sometimes that kind of risk assessment is done um, done in a purposeful and an organized way for a client. And sometimes it's kind of an intuitive thing. They, when you know there's going to be a lot of money going into a deal, someone might come with the knowledge that it's that they really want to dig in deep. Um, or, you know, as we'll talk about later, if someone's very comfortable with someone and knows them very well, they might think that they don't need to do quite so much. Um, spoiler for our next episode, we don't recommend that approach. Um, but I think you're certainly correct that um, that we recommend and, and suggest to clients that they think about, um, take some time to think about the kinds of risks that are involved in a particular transaction or a hire to inform the level of diligence that they do. I'd like to turn to working with an investigator on an issue. And you said something else that struck me that I don't think um, companies or individuals perhaps think of, which is the independence of the investigator. You talked about a client may think they know someone they're looking at either for a hire or potential merger or other business venture, uh, but that may not be true. And you as an outside independent may be able to point out, well, yes, you've known them for 10 or 20 years, but you've never really looked into X, Y, and Z. So I was wondering how, one, how do you have that kind of conversation? Then two, how do you move to doing X, Y, and Z? What's the most useful? How do you set up a, an entire engagement for success? That's a really important question, Tom. Um, And thinking this through before an engagement begins is a benefit to both the investigator and to the client. And one thing it's really important to remember is that, you know, we and other investigators, we're not going to tell anyone what to do. We're not here to say, do a deal, don't do a deal, hire someone, don't hire someone. We don't have skin in the game. We're fact finders. And we're here to be advised to advise you by presenting a client with the best information. So we're, um, we're impartial. You know, we're, we're not someone with an investment on either side of, of whether something moves forward or not. And so having an impartial party come in and do this research, I think is quite beneficial because we, we're not um, pushing forward any kind of position. And in terms Oops. of, go, sorry, ahead. go ahead. In terms of um, keys to success, in, in working with investigators, I think a couple of the real keys are understanding a client's purpose and priorities. But for the purpose, thinking about as much background and context as we can get as investigators coming into a situation cold, that's going to make us as smart as we can be going in. Um, 
Similarly, understanding the client's priorities. If we're thinking about an investment, for example, um, we it will benefit us and benefit the benefit ultimately the report that we produce to understand what kind of issues the client considers significant versus kind of normal course of business stuff. For example, there are certain industries where kind of a high volume of certain types of litigation is very normal um, and not really an issue of concern. And we'd want to know that going in so that we don't focus unnecessarily on details that might be ultimately unimportant. And we're making the best use of a client's time and money. Um, similarly, there might be certain issues with a company or a person, um, regulatory proceedings or certain high profile lawsuits that a client has already taken the time to talk through with the subject of the diligence. Maybe their counsel has gotten comfortable, read through the filings, and they feel like they have a really good understanding of this and it's something that they don't want us to look at. We wanna know that going in so that again, we're making best use of time and resources. Um, and then finally, the thing I'd, I'd say is setting, having a clear conversation about timeline. Uh, this is also your investigator's job and they should be doing this as well. Oftentimes these deals are a rush. Um, we have very limited time and in order, if we're dealing with an emergency situation, which is fine and we're very used to, then we just need to know so that we can adjust how we do research accordingly to hit the things that are gonna be the highest priority and of the greatest um, value to the client first. In a prior life, I was a trial lawyer and in one due diligence, I remember this, I had to read 110 lawsuits uh, <laughs> about a, a business venture partner. And none of them were around fraud or, or any type of business conduct. It was property damage claims because they were a shipper. And so in that situation where you have to digest as the investigator a large amount of material, um, how do you communicate uh, something that – you, that you don't think or it may not appear to really uh, be a deciding factor on, on what they're looking for yet, you've spent considerable time researching the topic. Do you give them an executive summary and say, I have backups available? Do you answer their questions? How do you handle that when you have literally a very large amount of information that certainly had to be reviewed, but um, frankly, it, not that it's not relevant, but it, it may not be the focus of what the client wants you to look at? Mm -hmm. Well, ideally, that's a, a conversation that you have at the outset or right when you, as an investigator, you run that search, you see there's 200 lawsuits and you think to yourself, you know, how am I going to triage this? Um, if I can use an example, there's a, a, an example that comes to mind that we looked at uh, a number of years ago for a client who was considering acquiring uh, a consumer lending and servicing company. And this company, due to the nature of its business, had an incredibly high volume of litigation, hundreds of lawsuits that we saw, both in, largely on the state level. And many of those, in, in looking at some of the results and what they were, were ultimately course of business for the industry. We'd see things like bankruptcy and foreclosure lawsuits where the company was named as a creditor or a plaintiff or a competing claimant. Um, and by talking through with the client, we were able to come to an understanding that we weren't going to go into each of those. You know, we could kind of broadly categorize them. But by if we didn't analyze those strategically and kind of be able to set those aside, then the client would have ended up with essentially a data dump of information that was going to be largely useless to them um, because it wasn't important. And if we had 
attempted to kind of chart everything out and just report and not analyze anything, we, there were also significant lawsuits that were buried in that group of 300 that were not normal course of business that might have ended up as, you know, line items number 174 and 175 in a 300 item chart or something. But by just coming to an agreement with the client on how we were going to focus and where we were going to prioritize, we were able to put that stuff aside and then find that there were a smaller subset of litigation. It actually was really important. There were some employee, some lawsuits filed by former employees who made um, some fairly serious allegations about the way that some of the senior managers had, had acted towards them. Um, there were some lawsuits related to some regulatory actions that were significant. Um, and those were things that we wouldn't have been able to find if we either tried to go through everything or made an attempt to just kind of list everything and not analyze anything. So it's um, it started as a conversation with the client about priorities. And that's something that doesn't just happen at the beginning of an assignment and then goes away. It's a, it's a series of conversations that continue through the research as we're finding um as we're finding different things and we're, we're trying to figure out how to prioritize and how to, where to dig deeper and where to kind of let it lay. In terms of your final deliverable, uh, what does all of this work you've described look like in practice and, or is it, as you have now informed me throughout this podcast, <laughs> it really varies from not only client to client, but actually from assignment to assignment. Yep. I think the latter is absolutely true. There are Certainly in cases where we're doing deep diligence, typically we'll put together a, a, a kind of a long written report that summarizes all of our findings. And with the beginning, of course, an executive summary for folks who don't have time to, you know, read the 20 or 30 pages or however long it is. Um, in cases where we don't need to go as deep, we'll sometimes do a more short form report that maybe we're only reporting on things that are adverse or maybe even for kind of very targeted searches, we're doing a, a more chart kind of deliverable. Um, but that's another conversation that we have with the client. You know, what do they want? How do they want it to look? Some people prefer to have as much detail as possible, and some only want a high-level summary of, of things that are really adverse or controversial. And unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on any of the topics we've talked about in this podcast. Where could they go? Oh, of course. You can find us on our website, k2integrity.com, or you can catch our latest updates on LinkedIn or on Twitter at k2integrity. Well, Hannah, thanks so much for taking the time to visit with me for this episode, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks so much, Tom. It was a pleasure. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of this special five-part podcast series sponsored by K2 Integrity. For more information, check out K2 Integrity's website at www.k2integrity.com. I hope you will join us again for another episode in this special five-part series. This podcast series is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network.